I love superhero movies. Does anybody else like superhero movies out there? So I've been um, going, taking my daughter Amanda through um, the Marvel, uh, Marvel superhero movies and, and walking through them. And doing that with her recently has made me realize just how many superhero movies there actually are. It's incredible. From Iron Man to Spider-Man to Captain America to Captain Marvel to Thor to Guardians of the Galaxy. As a culture, it's made me start reflecting and thinking, we are really obsessed with superheroes. And, you know, we have all these kind of fictional superheroes out there. But in real life, many of us have heroes as well. Who is your hero? Maybe your hero is a sports figure or, or a coach. When I was a kid um, growing up uh, here in Florida, Steve Spurrier was one of my heroes. Um, he's a former coach for the Gators here in Gainesville. But because I graduated from FSU, I had to learn to appreciate Bobby Bowden or else they would rescind my degree. So I, I, I pretended like he was my hero for a little bit. But, you know, maybe <laughs> they have a whole shrine to him. It's true. They have like a stained glass window and a statue. It's quite impressive. Anyways, maybe your hero um, is some, not a coach or a sports figure. Maybe it's a, a celebrity or a politician, or, or these days probably not a politician, but maybe it's a teacher or, or a parent or a spouse. Whoever it is, I want you to think about what makes that person your hero. What is the quality they have that makes you look up to them? Maybe it's loyalty or trustworthiness. Maybe it's courage or kindness. Maybe it's taking risks or persevering. What is it that makes a person a hero? Well, today our gospel passage shows us what a hero looks like from God's perspective. In fact, our gospel reading tells the story of two very different heroes. The first hero is the type we're more familiar with from the movies. The superhero. In this case, Jesus. Jesus literally walks on water. Now that is a pretty cool superpower. I remember when I was a kid, we had a pool. And me and my sisters would play a game where we would see how many steps we could walk on water. So we'd get a running start and see how many times we could get our feet to go across on the water. I usually made it one step in. And then gravity immediately pulled me below the surface. But, um, but I don't think that's what Jesus was walking across. Not just a little pool. He was walking across a big lake with towering waves and high winds. Now, apart from this superpower of walking on water, Jesus really encapsulates everything you would expect out of a superhero. Just look at the context of our passage this morning. So, Jesus walking on the water comes immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 takes place because the crowds were chasing after Jesus when he was trying to have a personal retreat. He's trying to get away from the crowds. The crowds chase after him and find him on the other side of the lake. And so he spends all day healing them miraculously and teaching them 
And at the end of the day, the, the disciples say, Jesus, we need to get rid of these people so they can get something to eat. They've been with us all day. And instead, Jesus says, no, 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 we're going to take care of this. And he miraculously feeds more than 5,000 people. So Jesus has some pretty awesome superpowers, walking on water, healing people, miraculously feeding more than 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. These are pretty awesome superpowers. And after he does all this on this day, at the end of the day, after he's been healing and teaching and um, feeding this huge crowd, at the end of the day, he finally gets his solitude. And that's where our passage picks up this morning. Our passage begins with this simple description. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. You know, as we look at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, over and over again, he sought out solitude. He sought out solitude. And it's fascinating to me that all of our made-up superheroes do the same thing. So think about, you know, Batman has the Batcave. Superman has, you guys remember? The Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> that guy really likes to be alone. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right, is living as a hermit in a cave, right? So superheroes retreat to recharge and prepare for their next mission. Now, Jesus is a little different. He didn't seek to be alone because he needed to get his strength back. Although Jesus certainly grew tired. Um, we have that recorded in the Gospels that he would get tired. So he got tired just like the rest of us. But this time in particular is different. He went by himself to pray. Not to disconnect, but to reconnect with the Father through the Holy Spirit. Not to avoid the work of ministry, but to take up the hardest work of ministry, prayer. So after his grueling day, Jesus doesn't go to sleep. He prays until the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., which is just before the sun comes up. It's the, the hardest part of the night to stay awake for. And this last watch, Jesus is in this lengthy and deep time of prayer. And out of this deep time of prayer, he comes down from the mountaintop and strides across the stormy sea. Talk about a picture of a superhero. But then there's another hero that's hiding in plain sight. Peter. Peter is a hero. Peter gets a really bad rap from a lot of us preachers. Um, you know, we call him stupid and stubborn. We call him rash and unfaithful and cowardly. These are, you've probably heard these sermons if you've been in church for any amount of time, kind of bashing Peter. And some of those things are true. After all, just last week, Peter was trying to build huts on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. He's like, let's build some, some tents and hang out here. And, you know, we can't forget that Peter, later on in the story, denies Jesus three times. And that was after Jesus told him less than 24 hours previous, you're going to do this. And then he still did it anyways. And so Peter is not a superhero. And in today's passage, we've got big, strong fisherman Peter who has to be rescued from the water by Jesus. 
And Jesus says something which might sound like a stinging rebuke. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter certainly doesn't seem like a hero. But let's look at this a little bit more closely. So the disciples, I want you to enter the scene a little bit with me. And you may want to turn to Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. But look at this a little bit more closely with me. The disciples are struggling about two miles offshore. And they're in a bad storm. And then we read this. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. So... The scene is the disciples are freaking out. They're terrified because the last thing they expect to see on a, uh, on, on, in the middle of the storm out on this lake and in the middle of the night is a person going out for a leisurely stroll. And so they think it's a ghost. And so here's what Jesus says to them. Immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. These words that Jesus says um, are the same words that occur all throughout the Old Testament anytime someone is having an encounter with an angel or with God. This is what the angel says to them. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Throughout the Old Testament, um, especially in, the God, in, in Isaiah in the Old Testament, um, God is described as striding on the waters. And in fact, Jesus' statement, it is I, is how God often identifies himself in the Old Testament. He's saying, it is I. The I am is here. God is here. We heard that, uh, that image of God walking on the waters and the Lord is mighty upon the, might, or is upon the mighty waters or seated, I think is where our translation had it, seated over the mighty waters. Job 9.8 says that God trampled the waves of the sea. So I want to just kind of reframe this a little bit for you. Jesus doesn't just have a superpower. He is the Lord of all creation. Everything in creation answers to his command. He doesn't just have a set of super abilities. He is God coming to his creation as they would have expected from the Old Testament. Now, I don't know that Peter had all of that in his brain. I don't think he was like, oh, Job 9, you know, God is striding on the waters. Or I don't think he had all of that in his head necessarily. Maybe he did. But at the very least, he seems to recognize Jesus, not as a ghost, but as the Lord. This is what we have Peter saying. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. Think about the incredible boldness of that request. Could you imagine ever saying a prayer like that? Yes. <laughs> yeah? Well, I'll tell you what. I had a boss one time, and all of his commands seemed impossible. And I hated receiving another command from him because I was like, this is going to be one more thing that I don't know how to do and I cannot complete. But here is Peter saying, Jesus, I want you to tell me to do something impossible. That is a bold prayer. I, I don't, my wife apparently prays those prayers. I wish I prayed more of those prayers. Who would want to do that? You know, it wasn't Jesus' idea for Peter to walk on the water, was it? It wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, Peter, you want to see it's me? Come on out. No, Peter says, command me to come to you out on the water. 
Peter longs to be with Jesus. He isn't content for his master to be like a distant ghost passing them by. He wants to go where Jesus is. How many of us have that kind of relationship with God? He, he feels like a distant ghost just passing us by. But Peter wants to be with Jesus. He wants to follow the master that he gave up everything to follow, even if it means doing the seemingly impossible. He trusts Jesus enough to get out of the boat and join Jesus. That's incredible faith. Jean-Francois Gravelet was a, he was a famous tightrope walker who performed at Niagara Falls back in the 1800s. And um, some of you guys may know this story, but it's an incredible story. So he would, he would set up a tightrope and he would go back and forth. And people would come from all over the country to witness this feat of going over Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And people even came from overseas. And one time there was a royal party that had come over from England, including the Duke of Newcastle. And they'd come over to watch Jean-Francois do his uh, routine of walking on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. And so he would kind of ham it up a little bit. He'd start with a balancing pole and go across. And then he would throw it aside and go across without the balancing pole. And then he would take various objects back and forth across Niagara Falls. Until eventually he'd get a wheelbarrow. And he would wheel the wheelbarrow all the way across and all the way back. And then he'd put a sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow and wheel that across and wheel it all the way back. And on this occasion, he saw this royal party and he went up to the Duke of Newcastle and he said to him, um, Do you believe that I could take a man in this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? And the Duke of Newcastle said, Of course you could. And um, so Jean-Francois looked at him and said, well, hop in. <laughs> the Duke of Newcastle was frozen for a moment and then politely declined to get in the wheelbarrow. And so Gravelet turned to, um, to the crowd that had gathered and said, is anybody out there willing to get in the wheelbarrow and let me take them across Niagara Falls? No one responded. Until finally, there's an elderly woman at the back of the crowd and she raises her hand walks forward, gets in the wheelbarrow, and goes all the way across Niagara Falls and all the way back. It turns out that woman was his mother. <laughs> you know, Gravelet's mother had faith in her son. She knew him intimately and she trusted him absolutely. She wasn't gullible, right? She wasn't just dumb. She knew the risk she was taking, but she had faith in him and was willing to entrust her life into his hands. That's faith. It isn't blind faith. That's not what the Bible teaches. It has eyes wide open. When Jesus said, come, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he fixed his eyes on the Lord, when all he could see was Jesus and all he could hear was his command, the impossible became possible for Peter. That is faith, completely trusting in Jesus. Now, of course, the scene doesn't stop there. That would be a very happy story, wouldn't it? Peter striding along with Jesus, you know, skipping along off into the sunset. But that's not where the scene ends. We continue reading. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, I think if you're anything like me, you've read this passage and said, Wow, he's kind of rebuking Peter a little bit there. (laughs) Why do you have such little faith? Why did you doubt? And you could read it that way. But I don't think that's actually what's happening here. Think about it. If Peter is an example of little faith, imagine what great faith could do. If little faith enabled Peter to literally walk on water, imagine what great faith could do. The problem for Peter wasn't a lack of faith. Faith and doubt are not sort of things on opposite sides of the spectrum and you can kind of like move on this gradient between faith and doubt. We can be faithful and have doubts. Faith is trust in God, even in the midst of doubts and fears. Jesus is asking a much deeper question than just, what the heck's wrong with you, Peter? Like, why can't you do this? It isn't a rhetorical question. Why did Peter doubt? What made him doubt in the passage? That's what Jesus is asking him. He's asking Peter, why did you doubt? It isn't a faith problem for Peter. It's a sight problem. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and looked at his circumstances. The realization of his circumstances changed his reality. I I don't know about you, but I so identify with Peter in this. How often does my looking too closely at my circumstances short-circuit my ability to look to Jesus? When the circumstances of my life are raging all around me, it is so difficult to keep my eyes fixed on following Jesus. You know, when I get a massive medical bill, it's hard for me to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. When one of my best friends stops talking to me and I have no idea why they're upset with me, it's hard to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. When I worry about a recession or my country descending into chaos— It's hard to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Or closer to home, when we have laundry to do and dishes to wash and the yard that needs to be cut, lunches that need to be packed, and the list of things to do just never seems to end, it's hard to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I don't know about you, but I get so consumed with my present circumstances of my reality that I can't see the reality of God's presence. And in a way, that's just what happens for Peter. He stops seeing Jesus and all he can see is the wind. That's all he can see. Everything we spend most of our lives consumed worrying about is just wind. The only reality is Jesus. And it's here in this moment of crisis that the real depth of Peter's faith is revealed. It wasn't just when he was walking on water that his faith is revealed. It's here when he's starting to sink. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's what makes Peter a hero. Not that he had the power to save himself, but that he knew he couldn't save himself. And he knew who could save him. Moments of crisis often reveal what we really believe about God. What makes a person a hero is not, you know, their own power or ability. 
from the perspective of the Bible, what makes a person a hero is where they turn when they're sinking beneath the waves. Where do you turn? Where do you go when everything starts to fall apart in your life? Faith is the measure of a hero, trusting in Jesus when we are walking on the clouds or drowning in the sea. Peter shows us a real hero. Peter knew who to call on to save him when he couldn't save himself. Brothers and sisters, not all of us are going to be able to walk on water. I wish I could say, if you apply my sermon, you will go home and walk across your pool today. All right? That isn't what the Bible teaches. We can pray bold and daring prayers. Let me be clear. You can pray those, those bold prayers. I'm not discouraging that. But I think what the Bible teaches more than that is that when our external circumstances are constantly changing, there is one thing in our life that will never change. There is one person that will never go away, that will never leave us nor forsake us, and that person is Jesus. No matter what is happening around us, whatever chaos is happening around us, we can always turn to Jesus. Many of you, like me and my family, may have just recently arrived in town. Or just recently started um, at a new school or, or a new residency program or a new job. Change, both good and bad, are around us all the time. But one thing never changes. Jesus is always there. And when crisis comes, we can always turn to him and say, save me. And what the promise of the Bible is, is that Jesus is always there with a steady and sure hand to pick us up. You know, maybe you've never asked Jesus to save you like Peter did. Maybe today you're in a place where you feel like you're sinking beneath the waves. Your life is in chaos. You don't know where to turn. You can ask Jesus to save you. And so I want to close by inviting us to pray that together. Maybe this is the first time you've ever prayed that. Maybe you've prayed this a hundred times in your life. There's no better day than today to ask Jesus to come and rescue you. And you can simply say, Jesus, like, like Peter did, Jesus, save me. Truly, only you are the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are always there. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are here with us now. And so we turn to you and say, Jesus, Save me. You are the Son of God. When chaos and uncertainty and change is all around me, you are always there. Come and rescue me today. Amen.